Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Ballester. I'm guest hosting this podcast for the 15-Minute Matrix. Today, we're mapping out the gut-brain connection with Andrea Nakayama. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist, and for today's podcast, I'm sitting in the guest seat. Taking over as our host is my colleague and good friend, Kevin Ballister, traumatic brain injury survivor, podcaster, and author of How to Feed a Brain. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for putting me in the driver's seat for this one and allowing me to interview you on the 15-Minute Matrix. Super fun. Thanks, Kevin, for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about the gut-brain connections because, honestly, you taught me so much about digestion and the brain and how the two are related. And, of course, I'd been doing a lot of stuff beforehand the way you teach and your lessons really launched my understanding, my ability to heal myself and my ability to heal others. Mm, thank you. So I'm really excited to be interviewing you about this. You have an ebook called The Roadmap to Resolution. If you walk us through the terrain of addressing digestion as you outlined in the three roots, how do each of these areas impact brain health? or brain function. So we know that the gut brain connection is no joke, right? Like I think we there's a lot more information about it and the connection can be implicated in mental health issues like anxiety, depression, brain fog, addiction, ADD, ADHD. We know it's there in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and pretty much every other place we see mental health impaired. But or maybe I should say and we also are seeing that it works the other way that stomach and acid reflux and digestive disturbances are also implicated by disturbances in the brain because the gut itself is sensitive to emotion. It's sensitive to sadness, anger, grief, excitement. We get those butterflies in our stomach for a reason. It's this connection that we're going back to. And when we think about hard to resolve gut issues or hard to resolve mental health issues, we can't think about them in isolation. We have to think about the entire connection. And that's where this three roots approach really helps us as clinicians. We make sure that there's no stone left unturned. So if we think about the three roots, they're the genetics, digestion, and inflammation. And while I want to talk about digestion most today and looking at this connection, the gut-brain connection, we can't ignore the other factors, the epigenetic factors that help to influence the expression of our genes and the entire terrain in our body, but also the inflammation and the factors that impact inflammation are where we have to clear, calm, enhance, and modulate. And as my 
friend Donna Jackson Nakazawa elucidates in her new book, The Angel and the Assassin, there's huge connections in the brain that are related to inflammation. So when we're thinking about any gut or any brain issues, we have to look at all three roots. But in looking particularly at the gut-brain connection, I want to get into that central root, which is the digestion. Yeah, and there's a lot for digestion as well, including like microbial yes. and mechanical, yes, structural, yep, and chemical. Absolutely. You know, microbial affects all of these things. So could you talk a little bit about the microbial? Yeah, and you named the factors that I use to look at how we impact digestion. We can't actually ignore any of those factors. The mechanical, as you said, the chemical, the structural, and the microbial. So before I dive into microbial, because I think it's a really juicy one that I know we all want to talk about with gut brain, I just want to quickly mention some of the connections that we're seeing in the gut-brain arena that help us understand why we have to look at all of these factors. With the mechanical, we have to remember that the enteric nervous system in the gut is a division of the autonomic nervous system. And of course, the ENS controls GI motility and secretions. It can function independently of the brain and the spinal cord, but it doesn't always do so. And there are a number of factors that we need to consider in that connection. So again, leaving no stone unturned. There is not one root and there is not one way to address one root. So we have to think about hormonal connections between the gut and the brain, both with the hypothalamus pituitary axis, with the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis. So we have to think about stress hormones, thyroid hormones, pathogenic connections between the two, which we'll talk about in the microbial. But these all impact the gut function and the brain function because of those connections between the ENS and the CNS. Chemically, we have to remember that the thought of food releases secretions that supports digestion. So if our thinking about food is impaired in any way, and this is where we go back to mindset, we're going to impact the digestive function, which could lead to digestive symptoms. And we don't want to leave that stone unturned. Structurally, as you know, we are at the vagus nerve, we have the pelvic nerves, but we also have pain perception. There's so many neurons in the enteric nervous system, hundreds of them, and that includes sensory neurons. And the CNS, the central nervous system, actually controls elimination. And so if we're not eliminating, we know we're more toxic and we're having more that our body has to address in terms of stress. So all of those areas of digestion need to be looked at in terms of understanding the gut-brain connection. But as you said, Kevin, microbial is the biggie. And this is because we know now that leaky gut, gut hyperpermeability can lead to leaky brain and brain mm -hmm. hyperpermeability. And as with the microglia, we know the blood-brain barrier isn't as blockading <laughs> as we thought it was. And so one of our first keys to looking at how we impact the brain and support the gut 
is honoring the microbial terrain. And in order to do that, there is a lot we can do as diet and lifestyle practitioners, as people who understand what it is we can do with food. Because one of the first things we want to do to support microbial terrain is look at how we feed the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of practitioners kind of take microbial and are like, yeah, just throw a probiotic at it and leave it at that. And that's totally not what you do. Tell me a bit about some of the things that you can do to shift the terrain. Yeah, yeah, great question. When we're looking at that terrain, and again, we're looking at this in relation to these gut-brain connections and in the health of both the gut and the brain, we have to consider the factors that have impacted the terrain. So we don't just want to blindly address it. And for me, that doesn't mean we need to get into strain specificity of probiotics. That's kind of tier three. First and foremost, we have to gather what is the diversity here. We don't need testing. We need an understanding of who this individual is. So what are the things that impact that terrain and the diversity we need for proper health, gut health, immune health, mental health? We need to look at the things that disrupt that terrain. NASEDs, so aspirin, ibuprofen, many other drugs will impact that terrain. Antibiotics, birth control, antacids, steroids impact that terrain. Chronic inflammation and stress, lack of sleep impact that terrain. I love the new studies that are coming out about sleep and microbial diversity. Mm -hmm. Eating foods you might be allergic to, so somebody eating, if you have a client or patient eating dairy, gluten, drinking alcohol, eating something that their body doesn't tolerate, that impacts the terrain. Eating processed foods, of course, impacts the terrain. And the lack of fermentable plant fibers impacts that terrain. So right in there, there's a lot we can do if we look at the clear, calm, enhance, and modulate. And of course, the microbiome is something we want to enhance. Other things that cause variations in the microbiome are where we're looking in the body. So different parts of the GI have different microbial makeups, the pH of the body, oxygenation, lifespan, where we live, and those dietary variations are key. So three great categories that we can use to feed the microbiome are the fibers, the fermentable fibers, our resistant starches and our short chain fatty acids and our fermented foods, of course, and our polyphenol rich foods. So our green tea and our berries or even cacao, these things can support the microbial terrain in addition to looking at the probiotics. And there's lots of training that I add there in the digestive intensive into how we do that kind of intervention. Perfect. I love it. I mean, food does affect so much. And I love how you started off with like things we can do dietarily to shift the terrain without getting into like uh, different strain specificity and things of that sort. When we're talking about the three-tiered approach, what, what are those three tiers and uh, what are your tactics 
for addressing gut-brain connection specifically? Mm, great question. So we've talked about the three roots, the genes, the digestion, the inflammation. All aspects need to be thought about when we're thinking about these connections. This really tells us, the gut-brain connection tells us that everything is connected. Mindset matters, lunch matters, sleep matters. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter, right? We have to look through that functional or that systematic lens. And what I'm speaking to is that we have to take this three-tiered approach. Oftentimes, like when we go right to the strain specificity or we're looking for one root or one infection, that's where we go to the tier three, dismantling the dysfunction. But there's a tremendous amount that not only needs to be done in the tier one and tier two, but that people are overlooking and not getting better. In your healing journey, Kevin, you focused on all three tiers. And that's what really brought you to the place that you're at today, which is so remarkable. So tier one are the non-negotiables. And we've spoken about some of them today. Leave no stone unturned. Make sure that the food and the environment and the movement and the mindset are in place to support the other work that we want to do to honor those connections. Tier two is deficiency to sufficiency. Deficiency can be in our appreciation of food. It doesn't just have to be in our essential fats, which would also be supportive for the gut-brain connection. But I think one of the things we really have to do as practitioners in the realm of non-negotiables is look at the fact that we don't want to get stuck in the center of the functional nutrition matrix. So we have the story, we have the soup, and we have the skill. And as clinicians, we think it's really sexy to just look at the soup, to just look at the biochemical or the physiological underpinnings and try to address that as it is. We have to look at the person's story. We have to look in gut-brain connection. How were they born? What was their birth order? Were they breastfed? We have to look at exposure to antibiotics and any other medications taken. What infections have been known throughout a lifetime? We have to look at those mediators. What do you eat that helps you to feel better or worse? Honoring the individual means we look at the story, the soup, and the skill because there are different reasons why there might be imbalances in this all-important connection. And we have to think about who am I talking to, what have they been through, and how do I help them on their healing journey step-by-step without thinking there's only one fix. So non-negotiable for clinicians is do not ignore the tier one and the tier two issues. The non-negotiables for that individual, the non-negotiables for you in your collection and assessment, and where there may be deficiencies, even in hope or a deficiency in resilience. Mm -hmm. These things have to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And that often can come from story of the past. And what I often talk about is how we can change the perspective of that past story in order to be something that's empowering in the present. 
and and these this this brings us to self-actionable things things that we can do for ourselves and of course when we're in this place where it's hard to find hope or motivation having a means in order to get that which is where we're talking about mindset yes and all of this comes down to the self-actionable stuff is the skill is having the skills that you're actually using, you know, having the motivation mindset is a piece of that skill. It is the catalyst to actually doing the skill. Beautifully said. Thank you. And uh, so when, as far as self-actionable things that people can do, what is the starting place for you? I think one of the biggest places for empowerment on an individual basis. And we as clinicians can really help our clients and patients to do this is in the tracking. Those mediators, that part of the story of the matrix is really deeply connected, talking about connections to the skills. So all the areas of skill, that sleep and relaxation, exercise and movement, food and hydration, all of that is connected to the mediators. When we as patients, because we're all patients, actually know more about what makes us feel better or worse, that's when we're back in control. And sometimes this takes tracking, sometimes it takes reflection from a guide like yourself as a coach or clinician, but those mediators, when somebody says, this makes me feel better, this makes me feel worse, you are arming that person, empowering them with the real tools that they need to advocate for themselves in every situation. So for me, the mediators are the key to self-empowerment and tracking is a brilliant tool to help patients get there. Yeah, as far as uh, mediators and tracking goes, like tracking's so important and so difficult at times. Yes. It's especially when you're in a place where your brain's not functioning optimally. And this is where technology can really, really help us out. Technology or a human touch point or both, right? Like uh, this is yeah. where we are guides and we can guide somebody towards the technologies. We can help them. Motivational interviewing is a brilliant way to help somebody who doesn't use technology or who needs that extra help getting there. And it doesn't need to be rocket science. We can get in there and help people in the gaps of where they are struggling and looking for the one answer because it's not one answer. Thank you so much, Andrea. That's exactly right. It's not just one answer. It's it's such an honor to be the the host for your podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. My pleasure. So to learn more about the roadmap to resolution, which is a good size, amazingly brilliant text, head over to fxnutrition.com forward slash roadmap or follow the link provided in the show notes.
For those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin Ballister. I sustained a severe traumatic brain injury and was given less than a 10% chance of recovery beyond a persistent vegetative state. I woke up from a coma after 12 days and I didn't eat, walk, or talk for months. And my journey of researching, connecting with medical experts, and gathering tools to repair the brain it has been crucial to bringing me to where I am today. And I am now helping clients who often have a loved one in a medical crisis, usually neurological, and I partner with them to bring about the best outcome. I help them get past the standard of care in medicine and actually do the treatments that they choose that are appropriate for their injury. So you can learn more at feedabrain.com or adventuresinbraininjury.com and check out the Adventures in Brain Injury podcast. This is the 15-Minute Matrix brought to you by Andrea Nakayama and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music from Gilbert Nakayama, who's Andrea's son, and production assistance by Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit and hear more episodes at www.15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be emailed a short reminder of when there's a new episode, go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify and subscribe. And hey, you have an open invitation to email the team about who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. Address your email to ask at 15minutematrix.com. Kevin, I think we need to get you on the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you.